Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, the Chicago City Schools are back at it again. They are, again, in full force, doing whatever they can to justify their not returning to the classroom. And what's interesting is that they're actually using their own policies and their own rules as justification to not return. And they're using the same imagery as well. So if you bounce over to the Chicago Teachers Union Twitter account, which I've done in the past, here's an example of, of one retweet to just kind of give you a, a bit of a taste. It says, quote, as tensions escalate over a possible mass refusal by Chicago public school staff to return to classrooms on Monday, new attendance figures released tonight show that few students are actually choosing in-person learning. In fact, the statistics are showing that less than 20% of students who are eligible to return to in-person learning aren't going. Now, why aren't they going back? The imagery that they're showing are students spread out with these translucent um, cubicle divider things around their entire body while they're all wearing masks. And the teacher is standing off in a distance. So... If they're curious as to why they're not returning, well, that's probably the reason. Because the social distancing is garbage, the mask wearing is garbage, throwing a pod over top of a kid is garbage, and it's all abuse. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, again, is that, and I've said it before, but they've created the very thing for which they never wanted to create nor advocate for, and that's school choice. Now they can't do away with it. I mean, at the risk of saying they, they dug their own graves, these school districts that are continuing to do these things haven't just dug their own graves. They've actually created more worthy policy and more options for their students than they ever wanted in the first place. Now, of course, they're, as we all know, their teachers don't even want to go back. And their teachers are using the high class attendance, quote unquote, in online learning environments as reason to also not go back. They're basically saying, hey, look, we have 95%, 96% attendance rate in the online environments. Why on earth would we go back to school when there's a 20% attendance rate? That's ridiculous. The other, the other part of this, though, that is the most disturbing to me personally is just the imagery of these children looking depressed and sad and angry with their masks on and their legs crossed and their heads down as they're sitting at desks multiple feet apart from one another. So again, I, I think that the worst part about all of this that's happened over the last year is that the teachers themselves in many cases have been remarkably selfish and the administrators as well too. And I know that it's not all of them, so don't accuse me of painting with a wide brush because that's just, that's ridiculous. The fact is, is that it's the, it's the students, both collectively and individually, that have been lost in this entire process. No one seems to be asking them what they think. No one's polling a student and saying, hey, look, do you enjoy the virtual environment or do you enjoy the in-person environment. And yes, we know that students have to have the in-person environment, uh, in particular those that are the most handicapped or have the most 
you know, the most immediate needs or the most paperwork, so to speak, to where they can't be managed in an, in an online environment clearly. We know that that's the case. But why not just turn those schools then into those environments and leave the virtual environment for the students that don't need those accommodations? I mean, you can have both, but they've been lying to each other now for so long, these school districts that are continuing to maintain these, these mask wearing mandates and this social distancing and one week on, one week off, one week here, one week there. They're doing that so often that it's very, very difficult to keep track of their own lies. And now they've created again the very thing for which they never wanted in the first place, which is permanent school choice. Not to mention in the exact same breath here, you have the Chicago Teachers Union continuing to post pictures of of teachers standing in picket lines where they're holding up coffins. They're holding up cardboard cutout coffins. And it says, quote, we can't teach from a coffin. And then the next sign that the person's holding says, full classrooms equals full hospitals equals full graves. You can't help these people. You just can't. Those people are lost. And now they're looking and trying to cling on to any any excuse that they can have to not return to the classroom and actually do their job. It's as if everybody's forgotten that people die of the flu. Which, by the way, also is worth noting that the Center for Disease Control and the World Health Organization are reversing everything that they've said in the past now. They're reversing all of it. Well, it's not as contagious as we once thought. Just like that. Snap of fingers. It's that simple. Now that they think somebody else is sitting in the presidential Oval Office, which he's not, by the way, but... Just because they think that there's quote-unquote new leadership, that they can now get away with just lying and all of a sudden, oh, well, we made a few mistakes, you know, too bad for us, but whatever, go back, go back to your lives. Everything is back to normal now. You see, this is the thing, too, that was highlighted in the book, The Leipzig Connection, which would be, it should be standard reading for any teacher education student. And again, if you were to mention that book within teacher education programs, the likelihood of them knowing about the book or having read it would be slim and none and slim left town. In the Leipzig Connection, they highlight the individual personal relationships between all of these individuals that turned education into what it is now, in particular within the 20th century. And then, of course, the book was published in 7980. So it leaves off there, but then it shoots a a number of different warnings to countless individuals. And it says, in the future, make sure you watch out for this and make sure you watch out for this. And one of the people, again, which I've mentioned in the podcast before, that was highlighted as being the father, quote unquote, of modern educational psychology is Edward Thorndike. And it was Edward Edward Thorndike who knew that you could treat students, teachers, administrators, and parents as essentially animals that can be experimented on in a laboratory and that you can manipulate their surroundings and manipulate their environment, which would then cause them to be manipulated. And he encouraged this. He encouraged schools and states to to do this on a consistent basis. Well, if you want teachers to do this, you don't tell them to do it. 
what you do is is you, you, you change their environment and you change their surroundings or you manipulate the curriculum. And then what they'll find is, is that they have to do it because that piece of cheese that's at the end of the maze is a dollar bill. And they don't want to lose their jobs and they don't want to sell their house and they don't want to, um, you know, they, they don't want to relocate and they don't want to do this and they don't want to do that. So, it's, again, it's the old donkey carrot effect. Hang, hang the carrot over top of the donkey and the donkey will move forward. It's the rat cheese maze effect. It's the exact same thing. And what we're seeing in particular, and again, I mean, you can watch this in real time, which is really depressing. But <laughs> it's, I mean, it's depressing, but it's funny and, and it's educational at the exact same time because you're, you can watch this again, actually happen in front of your face by, by going over to the Chicago Teachers Union Twitter account. You can see these people being manipulated on a day-in and day-out basis, and not knowing where to go. But that, too, also highlights the, the horrible nature of lying and what lying does. That the more you lie, the harder it is to remember what your lies are. And I've, I think I've said this, too, but I, it's Judge Judy, of all people, and I highly recommend watching that show if you've never watched it because it really is educational when it comes to very basic law of what you can and cannot do or who's personally responsible for this, that, or the other. But she consistently says, when you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. And that's true. Because the, not only does the truth speak for itself, but when somebody is trying to remember the truth, you don't have to remember it. It's just there. It's right off the top of your head. It's right in front of your face. It sits in your prefrontal cortex, and you can snag it anytime you want because it's just right there for the picking, whereas a lie will consistently change over time. But then people are manipulated by those lies, and then they end up believing them, and then the decisions that they make based on those lies just become worse and worse and worse over time. And then, of course, and this is arguably one of the worst parts, is to just is in an effort to justify the lie and keep the lie going they need recruits they need people to believe what they believe in order to keep it going so that's sometimes referred to as um, an echo chamber where you say something and then other people say the exact same thing and again, that's completely absent of any individualized critical thought. And I think that it's that piece right there that is continuing to, to, to just lack within these massive school districts, which are clearly uh, run by unions and very nefarious organizations that all have their claws uh, deeply embedded within the psyche of the average school teacher. So in conclusion... Just for this particular episode, I want to read a small little section here from the Leipzig Connection. This is on page 36. It says, as briefly stated by Thorndike himself, psychology was the science of the intellect, character, and behavior of animals, including man. Thorndike applied for a fellowship at Columbia, was accepted by Cattell, and moved into two and moved in with his two most intelligent chickens to New York where he continued his research and earned his Ph.D. in 1898. Thorndike's specialty was, quote-unquote, the puzzle box, into which he would put various animals, chickens, rats, cats, 
and let them find their way out by themselves. His doctoral dissertation on cats has become part of the classical literature of psychology. After receiving his doctorate, he spent a year as a teacher of education at Western Reserve University, and it wasn't long before Cattell advised Dean Russell to visit Thorndike's first classroom at Western Reserve. Quote, Although the dean found him dealing with the investigations of mice and monkeys, he came away satisfied that he was worth trying out on humans. Russell offered Thorndike a job at Teachers College, where the experiment where the experimenter remained for the next 30 years. Thorndike was the first psychologist to study animal behavior in an experimental psychology laboratory and following Cattell's suggestion, apply the same techniques to children and youth. As one result, in 1903, he published the book Educational Psychology. In the following years, he published a total of 507 books, monographs, and articles. Thorndike's primary assumption was the same as once, that man is an animal and that his actions are actually always reactions, and that he can be studied in a laboratory much in the same way an animal might be studied. Thorndike equated children with the rats, monkeys, fish, cats, and chickens upon which he experimented in his laboratory and was prepared to apply what he found there to learning in the classroom. He extrapolated laws from his research into animal behavior, which he then applied to the training of teachers, who took what they had learned to every corner of the United States and ran their classrooms, curricula, and schools on the basis of this new quote-unquote educational psychology. So with all of that said, I have a resource here for home learning, if anybody is interested. And this is a book that's written by Rebecca Rupp, R-U-P-P, and it's titled Home Learning Year by Year, How to Design a Homeschool Curriculum from Preschool through High School. Now here's the interesting part. This book could also be used within a teacher education program. And there's nothing wrong with having this book in the hands of someone who actually wants to be a classroom teacher because this too lays it all out very succinctly grade by grade subject by subject and it even breaks down particular activities that can be done writing assignments that can take place and it can be a bit daunting at first when you first look at it but again each chapter is its own grade level so kindergarten is technically the first 53 pages and then grade one is another 50 some odd pages then it moves on to the next grade and the next grade. This is an excellent resource. It's just a great, great resource. So if you're homeschooling and you're interested in picking that up, I highly recommend it. If you're training to be a teacher, I highly recommend picking it up as well. And if you're a current teacher, I highly recommend picking it up as well. However, you're going to have a bit of a harder time if you're a current educator because, uh, as we all know, when a teacher gets hired... The maze, or the curriculum as it were, is predetermined. But what this resource does is it provides an organized look at things, which is a good thing. And unfortunately, many schools are doing away with actual accurate textbooks and, and written resources, and they're moving to this online sort of haphazard environment where they're picking and choosing what they want to do and then hoping that it has some organization, when in fact it really doesn't. So. This provides some organization, which is a good thing, and it's, it's the organization that is really the foundation of effective education. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. 
Don't forget to check out AmericanEducationFM.com, where you can make a small donation or even email us and be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, never stop learning, never stop reading, and never stop unlearning. Thanks for listening, and God bless.